The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Jodderand, and yes, we're back. Sorry about last week's technical difficulties. But here we go. Today's discussion is going to be about TV and soccer in America. With all the viewing options, does this hurt or help U.S. soccer as a whole? What about the effects on MLS? Former MLS pro and now analyst Bobby Warsaw joins us to discuss MLS deadline day. Finally, last week's conversation with contributor to American Soccer Now, New York Times, Howler Magazine, Brian Sharetta, joins us to chat Americans Abroad. Joining me, as always, is Armand Kafai and Jake Watroba. Let's get to today's show. <laughs> Fellas, it's been two weeks since we've recorded something. How are we doing? Uh, I'm doing good, boss. I and now I can watch all the soccer on my TV, so I, f- I feel like a new man. Yeah, yeah. well, we're gonna... yeah, we're gonna talk about that, Armand. We're gonna talk about that. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I just had my fantasy football draft. Feeling pretty good about the team I drafted. Uh, Jake, we have that... a new, we have a rule on the show: do fantasy sports on your own time. Hey, yeah, Jake. Yeah, say, we don't care about your fantasy sports. I, I just took the, the the quarterback of the soon-to-be Super Bowl champion Minnesota Vikings, Kirk Cousins. So. Oh, well. You like that? No, I don't. Anyway, let's talk about soccer in America. And uh, let me ask you guys, what what did we watch this past weekend? How much soccer did we watch? Armand, you tweeted something about how you were all over the map regarding <laughs> every league possible. What did you watch? <laughs> okay, so I watched, uh, I woke up, you know, watched some, I think it was QPR Sheffield United. Um, then... Uh, I hopped around some Premier League games, you know, watched some Brighton, Watford, uh, then Wolves and Everton. Then I watched uh, PSV and uh, Utrecht play, took a quick break, and then watched uh, Columbus and Houston play for a little bit, and a little bit of some uh, Minnesota LA Galaxy, so I think a little too much, but you know. Yeah, it is what it is. We are recording Sunday mid-afternoon, so I suspect some of us will watch the uh, later MLS games. But, Jake, what about you? I slept in to about uh, 8.30, watched Chelsea versus Huddersfield, then also had QPR Sheffield United on in the background on my computer. Then from there, uh, watched Everton Wolves and had Ajax, Against, I don't even know what the team they even played. That's how little the Eredivisie really know. I don't even know who they play. Who did they play yesterday, Armand? 
I have no idea. I, yeah. I think it was like Hercules or something, right? Her, like, yeah, so, they, they were wearing like a powdered blue uh, shirt. Oh, I think uh, I think it's like Heverend. I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. I don't know who, who it was because it doesn't matter because the Eredivisie has two teams that really matter. I don't know about it. Well, I had that on in the background on my laptop. And then at that point, I was, I was pretty soccered out at that point and didn't watch really much soccer until I actually only watched the second half of Minnesota – uh, LA Galaxy last night, and that was about it. So it, it leads me to this question, and listeners, tweet us because I, I'm genuinely interested. What's the one league y'all watch most? Armand, it, it's hard for you to answer because you are a writer, but take that bias out of it. Uh, as a fan, what do you enjoy watching most? Ooh, that's tough because I do watch a lot of Premier League. But one of the leagues I genuinely enjoy watching is Liga Mekis. I really enjoy watching it, and especially it's it's on Unimas Univision like uh, throughout throughout the day, Saturday or Saturday night even. And uh, I mean, before I had my Chromecast, I really couldn't just pull up my TV and I kind of don't like watching soccer on my phone as much. So I would just pull up the Liga Mekis and have that most game on, but. Liga Mekis is just a fun league because there's just so much stupid stuff that happens. I mean, it's it's entertaining. I would probably say Liga Mekis. Okay, so that's an answer I really didn't expect. Jake, what about you? Taking champ- Let's take Champions League off the table too because that's more of a rare tournament and, and that's a tournament in itself. It's not a league. Uh, week in and week out, are you Premier League, Bundesliga? God, it's so tough to say because la- if you would have asked me this two years ago, it was definitely Premier League. But last year's Premier League with Man City basically running away with the, the league title in November or December, my interest in that waned quite a bit. That being said, I, if, I, if I had to pick one, I guess I'd prefer to watch the Premier League just because it's in the morning, you kind of get it out of the way, you have the rest of your day to do something. Um, so that that's, where, that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, from sportsmediawatch.com, Slight increase for the Premier League season. This is going back to last year. The Premier League season averaged 449,000 viewers across NBC Sports and digital platforms, up 2% from last year, but the second smallest average since 2013. Now, if you look at Championship Sunday, which is everybody's most popular day because all the teams go pretty much all at once, uh, average 1.8 million viewers across 10 NBC networks on par with last year. There was little little at stake as Man City wrapped up the Premier League over a month ago, which is insane to think about how dominant they were last season. But, I mean, guys, with all what's going on, do you think the Premier League here in America is going to have an uptick? Do you think we're going to see more people watch the Premier League? It's still the Saturday morning product. The NBC package, I mean, the, those guys really know about soccer, and it is—it's a joy to watch them post-game, pre-game, Sunday goal, whatever their goal show is. It, it's a great package. It, it's just well put. NBC has done a really good job with the Premier League. We all connotate the best league in the world being the Premier League, even though maybe statistically it's not the best league in the world. The only other league that I can maybe see, you know, uh, catching up in the recent, like, you know, in the maybe in the future a little bit would be, 
Uh, I, I was going to say Serie A, but I don't think it's a good one because it's, it's, you require a streaming uh, well, service to go on it. Because, I mean, also, I think Serie A has a lot of storylines now, especially Ronaldo uh, coming into uh, Juventus. It's also one time, uh, one game per week on ESPN, the wrestling right, ESPN+. Right. Plus. But what about you, Jake? I mean, you two years ago were all over the Premier League. Now you, you seem to have waned a little bit. If it is more competitive this season... Obviously, I think Liverpool could challenge City here. Do you think American viewers are going to watch more or just have a more of an, you know, an eye towards it if it's more competitive? Yeah, I think I mean there's a couple of factors here at play. As Americans, I think the general sports watching public that in America wants to see the best league with the best players in the world. You know, and like like Armand said, you know, statistically it might not be the best league in the world, but in terms of storylines, competitiveness, it, it is. Um, the other thing at play too with the Premier League that a league like MLS or Liga MX has is it starts at, it starts in the early morning. You can it's so convenient to wake up and just watch soccer, and then you have the rest of your Saturday or Sunday to go out and do whatever you want to do. And I think that'll it'll always stay that way unless MLS gives fans a reason to care less about foreign leagues. Well, the TV numbers for last year in MLS, now this is from Goal.com, viewership on ESPN and ESPN2 combined was slightly down in 2017. MLS matches on ESPN and ESPN2 averaged 272,000 viewers in 2017 compared to the 274,000 in 2016. So 2,000 difference, really not much there. Fox and Fox Sports 1 combined for an average 5% increase in viewership in 2017. Let me ask you guys, before I go to Univision, who puts a better product regarding MLS, ESPN or Fox? I I, w- I would go Fox. I would go Fox. Even I, after- I think the debacle of the World Cup, I agree, Armand. It's Fox. I would I would go with Fox, especially with the way they treat MLS Cup. Uh, I think that's one of the factors I'd have to throw in there. Even though maybe their pregame show before the matches looks like it's a kind of rush, they just go straight to the lineups, all that stuff. No ana, no like analysis. Um, I would I would have to argue the way that like you know when you watch a Fox broadcast, I just feel like it's important. You know, like there. I mean, I don't I don't feel like it's that. I guess quote unquote important. Uh, through ESPN, I mean, because the way you treat MLS Cup, it, it was like, it was like nothing. I mean, Fox treated it like it was a big event, which it is, and the, it showed in the numbers and the ratings. ESPN didn't, and we saw the, we saw it go down. The ratings go down. I agree with Armand in terms of just uh, the network. Like you said, it, it it makes MLS Cup feel important when they put it on Fox instead of FS1 or like ESPN does, and just keeps it on or put out. They put it on ESPN2 and moved it up three hours because of the Heisman Trophy presentation. Is that what they did last year? Well, they didn't put it on ESPN2, but yeah, they, they put it on ESPN and yeah, because oh, okay. of the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, I wasn't Heisman sure. If, I wasn't. Sure. I know it took a backseat to the Heisman Trophy presentation, but I wasn't sure if it took like a like if they just put it in like the trunk, I guess, if you will, and put it on ESPN2 or something like that. Um, no, I mean I don't know. It. I like John Strong and Stu Holden as a uh, duo. It, as a duo, I don't mind. Uh, said Adrian Heatley and Twelman. Yeah, but Twelman's you know halftime speech is useless because they don't even talk about the game 
that's going on. So they don't break down like, hey, Atlanta needs to do this to beat Toronto no, or, you're, or something. You're right. It's you're just right. highlights and then Taylor Twellman's rant and that's it. It's like as if it's a preseason friendly where the game on the field that they're broadcasting has no significance to anything. You're, you're right because they don't do a studio show before the match or after the match to talk about really what had happened in the game. It's basically like we got to run through these MLS scores real quick and then we got two minutes of Taylor Twellman talking about the major headlines in the week that was. Um, I guess I, I, I don't know. I, I prefer Twellman actually more to Stu Holden. I'm sure that's probably an unpopular opinion. I actually don't. I, I think a lot of MLS fans hate Taylor Twellman for some stupid reason. I just, I just feel like he's a little bit more passionate about the game than Stu Holden does. I don't know. But, I guess, yeah, I guess in terms of overall quality, I would lean Fox. Let me – this is a really interesting statistic here. Now, I'm reading again from Sports Media Watch. The FIFA World Cup has resulted in some of the highest MLS ratings in a decade. Airing immediately after FIFA World Cup coverage last Saturday's Portland – Timbers Sounders Major League Soccer match had a .8 rating and a 1.16 million viewers on Fox, making the third largest MLS regular season audience in 2018. Uh, eight. But guys, the World Cup has had a good effect on MLS. The, I mean, that's, there what wasn't... Ex- that's what we expect, though, right? Like, that's why it was so, I guess, devastating for the U.S. to miss the World Cup because you always have, you know, these, uh, I guess not usual soccer watchers uh, just coming in and watching soccer and all of a sudden they kind of pick up an interest and it, it might it might lead to hey like maybe I want to watch the Premier League or hey what's my local uh, MLS or whatever soccer team around here I want to go watch a game I want to go see, see them on TV I think I mean I would say that there has to be a positive correlation right do we expect anything different well I mean, some to people- be honest I go Jake you- I mean, I kind of thought there wouldn't be really any positive effect to it. I mean, any of the players that featured uh, from MLS that were in the World Cup, most of them were out of the tournament by the round of 16 with the, uh, I mean, Roman Torres with Panama. I mean, he they were out pretty quick. You had Mexico. Get they're the out in their first game. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who else am I. Wasn't there a couple of players from, um, a couple of Egyptian players from MLS? That were featured in the national team. Yeah, but I, I think, again, Jake, you make a good point. Nobody expected MLS to have any effect because the players that were playing in the World Cup, although they were MLS-based, I think what, it was 19 that got sent over, they were playing for squads that didn't have much relevance, and, and the Mexican players were already big names to begin with, but how much of a draw do they have on TV? It's more about the attendance that gets affected with these big names. Look at 32,000 show, show up for New England uh, LA Galaxy in Foxborough when they're averaging close to 17, 18 week in, week out when, you know, Ibra, I don't even think Ibra played that particular game a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, people will show up for games. I don't know if it correlates much on TV, but the World Cup having an effect for MLS is a positive. Now, there's a lot of TV changes coming up, and one particular interesting change is the Champions League. Now, Jake, tell us the changes that are coming. Uh, the Champions League uh, this year will be moving to TNT and Turner Sports, uh, which, I mean, the last, I don't know, it seems like it's been on, been on Fox for about the last 10, 15 years or so, right? Um, TNT will show 46 Champions League matches, including the UEFA Super Cup, 
the rest of the Champions League and Europa League matches will be streamed on Bleacher Report Live. Uh, for reference, TNT is in 90 million homes versus FS1, which is in 84 million uh, homes across the country. Do you guys think this is a big deal for Champions League and European football? Massive. But go on and, and explain the the paywall issue and then what happens with Univision and their decision. Sure. So if you wanted to see the rest of the Champions League matches, you'll need to subscribe to Bleacher Report Live. Um, if Now, they have a couple different options for Bleacher Report Live. If you're only interested in watching one team play in the Champions League, you can pay $2.99 per match. Uh, the most you would pay by subscribing to this option would be $39 for the year if your team were to make the final. Uh, for additional Champions League matches the uh, and other sports and leagues that uh, Bleacher Report Live will have, you pay either $9.99 a month or $79.99 a year. Some of the other soccer leagues or tournaments featured on Bleacher Report Live is the Scottish Premiership, the Belgium Jupiler League, the Polish Cup, and the Swiss Cup. But Univision is going to be interesting because they're going to air twice as many Champions League games on TV than TNT. Now, games will be played in mid-afternoon. How many of us actually play the games with sound on? I think if you're at work, you're not going to have the sound on. If you're in classes, you'll have your computer screen on. You're going to try to pay attention to a lecture, but it's on mute. You're paying attention to the game. Univision is going to have an uptick in the amount of people who will watch it because then people are not going to want to pay to watch the Champions League because I think people want to watch the most entertaining game in the Champions League. I don't think the draw of Messi with Barcelona playing a team from Turkey is any more interesting. In fact, the TV numbers bear that out. Now, it, I think this is a little bit of a skewed number, um, but FS2 beats FS1 in UEFA quarterfinals. This is last season. Wednesday's first leg of Liverpool-Manchester City UEFA Champions League quarterfinal had 228,000 viewers on Fox Sports 2, topping competing Barcelona-Roma match with 208K. People here want to watch the more entertaining game. Yes, you have two English clubs, and English clubs dominate American soccer when it comes to viewing compared to other European leagues. I wonder if TNT is going to have an issue because to me, if you had said Barcelona versus Roma, this is the game on FS1 or this is the game on TNT, I'm not going to watch it because the outcome is is pretty much guaranteed that Barcelona would beat Roma. Well, didn't Fox last year, was it, wasn't it Barcelona playing, I can't remember what, what it was, but there was two matches going on at the same time and it was Barcelona was playing somebody, and they had already clinched out of the group, and the two other teams hadn't clinched, and they opted to show Barcelona versus the eliminated team on FS1, and then threw the the, the other game that had uh, that basically determined the second team out of the group on FS2, which I thought was ridiculous. I didn't think that the draw of Messi was that much more significant in a meaningless game over uh, a game that was basically deciding who came out of that group. Armand, with all the viewing, now that Champions League changes, what do you think the American viewer is going to do and how is this going to affect MLS? Are people going to go to more of the games? Are people going to be tuned in? Or something Jake and I have discussed off, off the mic, the, the term soccered out by the time you get to Saturday afternoon – 
you're not going to have time to watch MLS or you're just not going to make time because you kind of have other things going on. And uh, Premier League versus MLS, I'm probably going to tilt, you know, the big game of the Premier League that's on NBC if I'm going to make time to watch soccer. Right, right, right. And uh, I, I decided to do some research on uh, whether this uh, soccer out thing is uh, true or not and looked at games that are... Not necessarily MLS, because I think MLS is an inferior product and not that many people are, are going to watch it because they're not interested. But I think an interesting case study is Liga MX. You look at Liga MX, you had a game uh, on April 21st. Uh, it's uh, Necaxa versus Tigres. The game started at 9.01 Central Time. And uh, it had, uh, let me look at the numbers exactly, 609,000 uh, viewers. And that was the highest viewed match of the day outside of the FA Cup I think it was semifinal between Man United and Spurs, and that had 800, 804,000. I, I don't think I don't think being soccered out is a thing. I think it's more of MLS just not having that interest. I can go on and on throughout the list. Monterrey, Monterrey and Pumas uh, started at 7.05, had 920K on the uh, 7th. The only other game that drew higher was the Manchester Derby between, obviously, City and United. It's. I don't think it'll affect MLS as much. MLS just has to do a better job of increasing the quality of the league and making entertaining soccer and just make them more interesting. I sometimes I'll, I'll watch a broadcast and I'll be and if I wasn't interested in MLS, I I wouldn't watch it. It's they, they're not doing a good job at marketing and uh, marketing their product. And sure, their product improves, but you can't have Atlanta United playing on every single game on every single week because if you did, those ratings would probably go up. Probably the most entertaining team in the in the league, but I mean, outside of that, sometimes you have teams like like Nap Football. I mean, we have like a Col- was it Colorado and San Jose, Jake? Right last last oh, night we reached peak Nap Football last night. Oh. Yes, Colorado and oh. San Jose. I, I I figured you were watching. I thought that would be you would be all no over. no 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 no. I was uh, I I had better things to do to watch watch that garbage, but uh, and yeah. Plus you have those matchups and. They don't, they don't have importance. So it's kind of, there's not not that much. There's not going to be that much interest in the game like that. Maybe compared to a game, it's a bottom, a bottom table, you know, battle between two sides. That you know, every point matters. You might get, you might get relegated if not. So I mean, will it affect MLS? I'm not, I'm not sure to be honest because I feel like someone. You're not gonna. Your view of MLS is not gonna change watching Champions League or anything like that. Your views of MLS is more gonna change. I think if it was more available, as in like or like or the how uh, Premier League's on NBC, if they maybe had a couple games on ABC, like like MLS is doing with the games on Fox. And look, the games on Fox have had massive ratings. So Could, is there maybe a correlation there? What would I think is interesting is MLS does well on an attendance. Basis. Like, people will still go to the games. So, I think it's it's the TV that's the struggle. It's not necessarily attendance. If you look at a MLS attendance, it is third among major American sports leagues. Uh, with, 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 with the ratings of eight, I mean, it's all about entertainment. The thing I talk about with people is, I'm like, hey, like, why, why don't you watch MLS? And most of it's not like, oh, so much soccer in there it's just more like hey we, i just don't like the quality of play i think the quality of play is 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 worse and it is worse i mean if anyone says like oh mls like premier league you need to go tell them like you're delusional like what's wrong with you <laughs> like you're wrong no you're right like, but what I'm, what i'm saying is the thing i think people have a hard time understanding is i think jake you're a perfect case you have a girlfriend you have a life going on 
You get up Saturday morning, it is easy to turn on a Premier League game. But in the afternoon, I think the Sunday night window is different. I think it's easier to watch a Sunday night because it, what are you going to do? You're not going out on a Sunday night, so what are you going to watch? Sunday night baseball? Probably not. It's it's boring. Baseball's boring to watch. You're going to watch MLS. But, Jake, I, I think you and I are on the side that soccer doubt is a true phenomenon. I I don't know. Yeah. I, it, you just watch, If you watch those three, it's just so convenient to watch the Premier League in the morning. You know, it's, it's just you get it out of the way. I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't care. To, unless it's Minnesota United on a Saturday night, I don't care to watch some out-of-market MLS game. I don't care to watch New England Revolution versus Montreal Impact or whatever on a Saturday night. It, I Why? Why should I watch it? It's not top-tier foot. I mean, it, well, it's top-tier in this uh, country, but it's not one of the better leagues in the world. Quality of play is down. It just, to me, it, it doesn't make any sense to watch any MLS game that's not within your market or isn't your favorite team. I, you know, you make a good point, and Armand, you do also make a good point. It's, I think that there's a combination of the two. But let's get into MLS. We'll ask Barbie Warsaw some of the same questions we just posed. You know, comment. How is the European TV schedule going to affect MLS and U.S. soccer as a whole? Could it grab more neutrals and hopefully convert them into more MLS view views? We will see. But up next, Barbie Walsall. All right, we are honored to have our next guest, former MLS pro. He's a MLS analyst now, broadcaster Bobby Warshaw. You can follow him on the Twitter machine at bwarshaw14. How's it going, Bobby? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. No worries. Absolutely, Bobby. We're honored, right? Yeah, we um, are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're honored, cool. right? This is, this is fun. As uh, two guys from Dallas watching watching Bobby play, and then there's Jake from Minnesota. So I mean, I don't know. Do you watch any Bobby Warshaw uh, up there? Uh, with the, have- the, I'm new to MLS with the loons just joining in the last couple of years. So, uh, unfortunately I did not watch much of Poppy play. I, I apologize. You haven't even gotten the full MLS experience. I guess you've gotten the heartbreak experience. Like yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm going to ask you about some loons heartbreak here in about a couple of minutes. We'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, Bobby. And just before this, we were just, uh, talking about, uh, all the new, you know, uh, TV rights deals are going on. I mean, there's so much soccer on on TV. What do you make of MLS's TV product that they have right now? Oh wow, you guys just came in swinging, huh? You guys yeah. <laughs> went to the big we don't hold back. No, I think that there's. I'll put this in three ways. The first, and I don't. I'll maybe I don't know if I get in trouble for saying this kind of thing, but I think the local TV products are poor, right? I think that the production, the video angles, mm-hmm. the replays i think that there's still a ways to go on that i do think more than ever we've got great local broadcasting teams i mean you take minnesota for example i think the product you guys put out i think having jamie on the field uh even like you know, like a san jose who i don't think the video quality is great or the way they put the whole show together but i think that the broadcasting team is good so uh, i think in general just in broadcasting a soccer game understanding the replays understanding angles understanding moments from the truck and how to cut the different parts so as a way to go locally. 
nationally, I think Twelman is amazing. I think Stu is phenomenal. I think that the the John Strong and the teams that they have in the booth are great. Uh, but the ratings aren't there yet. You know, I think that it doesn't. I'm not going out on a limb when I say that the late ratings aren't as high as MLS people would like them to be. But I think the third part of this is that they'll come, right? Like the whole part of MLS has been slow growth. And I don't think I'm being a homer when I say this. I'm not being, I don't say this because I'm paid by the league, but I mean, I basically put my life on the bet that MLS TV ratings will go up, right? That when the stadiums get better, that if you watch a game on Atlanta, even if you don't know anything about the quality of soccer, that is dope to watch. Um, so, yeah, I'm putting my future earnings and salary on the gamble that TV ratings go up. Bobby, it's kind of a divide in, in our office. The the term soccer now, you get up on a Saturday, you got all this Premier League coverage. Now that with ESPN Plus and all the streaming services, even if you don't buy them, you can find other games online illegally. Do you think soccered out is a possibility where you get to the afternoon and, you know, you want to go outside or, you know, there's an MLS game, but you're just kind of tired of watching TV, tired of watching soccer, and you turn it off? Do you think that's a possibility? Yeah, I think that's a totally fair point. The flip side of that coin that I'll give you is I do think the gateway drug into Major League Soccer is going to a game. So I actually don't. We've talked about TV ratings, and TV ratings will eventually go up, but I actually don't think the, the gateway into the rise of Major League Soccer is, you know, sitting on your couch watching a game at 6 p.m. Um, I do think it's going to a game. Then you go to the game, you go to another one, you get into the community, and they will go up. So I think being soccered out is totally possible, um, is a real thing. But I also do think that I'm not as concerned about that as just getting people to Bank of California Stadium, to Mercedes-Benz Stadium, to Jed Weld and all these nice stadiums. Um, so, yes, it's concerning, but also not super concerning. Can I share an anecdote about this? I don't know what happens to you guys, but I have like a yearly tradition of having like a wonderful summer romance going. And the girl <laughs> I'm dating generally knows that like my Saturday nights and sometimes my Sunday nights are booked, right? Like MLS, mm-hmm. whether I was playing in a game and had Saturday night game or, you know, I had, you know, the last year I've had to work in the studio. And then there's a point like mid-August when Premier League and it comes back and she's like, wait, it's 8 a.m. on Saturday too and it's Sunday morning. <laughs> and like there's just like a precipitous drop in my love life in that moment. So it's like I get to see the love drain out of her eyes. <laughs> I mean, it, we're. I think we are spoiled as soccer fans here in America. Uh, and, and if you're in a good soccer market, say in Atlanta, Portland, Seattle, even L.A. with the Galaxy and LAFC, you have options. And you could literally spend your entire Saturday watching soccer, either at a game or on television. And we're spoiled. Yeah. We are. And there's a variety, too, right? I think that's the cool part. I think if you, sh- if you wake up at 8 a.m. and watch – the Premier League, I think that looks different than the 12 o'clock Bundesliga game, which looks different than the 7 p.m. MLS game. And not even about quality, just in the type of soccer and the type of visual product you want to take in. So I think that's the other cool part. Bobby, I kind of want to uh, change gears here and, and, and move away here from the, from the, the television talk. Uh, you played uh, a few yeah. years with FC Dallas. Um, as somebody who writes uh, about and analyzes MLS, can you talk about some of the changes in the league you see today compared to when you played in the league? Good question. I think the main difference is coaching. Right? We talk a lot in the office about whether players have gotten better, you know, and there's TAM, there's increased investment. I'm one of those people that actually isn't sure that TAM and the stuff has actually improved the product we watch on the field week in and week out. I think the biggest variable has been coaching. I think right now we've got maybe nine or 10 coaches 
at a level that we might have had one or two before. I mean, you can put it in perspective. Like, Bruce Arena was the best coach in Major League Soccer for 10 years. And I think that Bruce, for as wonderful and phenomenal as he was, as much as he contributed to American soccer, would just be phased out now in general how he would coach. Because I think there's nine or ten guys that have probably passed him. I mean, if you look at the Greg Berhalters and the Jesse Marshes and the Patrick Vieiras and the Tata Martinez and Greg Vanny, you know, like I said, I can give you 10 or 11. Um, I didn't even list Bob Bradley there for crying out loud. Um, I think the coaching has improved, as it, as it really has across the world, to be fair. Bobby, I had a question. In in regards to the makeup of a locker room, you have big personalities or just big names like Ibra, Rooney, and the list goes on. Is it harder to incorporate a big star like in Ibra, or is it easier or harder to incorporate a young DP like you see with a Barco or even a Rossi at LAFC? Oh, I love that question, too. I would say that it's equally, they're both very challenging. I think it's probably harder. So this all answers this question. I think it's harder to get the big star inserted into the team and mold a team with that big star. I think it's harder to get the young DP to play at a high level, if that makes sense. Because I think when you're, people don't appreciate when they see these signings, whether it's in MLS or into the Premier League, that when you're 19 or 20 years old, and if you change teams, more or less change countries, more or less change continents, more or less change languages, it's really hard. And the idea that a player we see at 19 playing in South America or playing in France will translate to America or England or Germany, it, it's just insane to think that when the, when the human part changes so much that the player part will change or won't change. Um, so I think for young players, the challenge is just getting them to play the same level that you scouted them as. And for the big DPs, it's to get them inserted when this person, it's like we've all experienced it, right? You walk into a party, and whether it's like, you know, the, the, the cool kid in high school or the frat guy, whatever it is in that situation, there's people that suck air out of a room. There's people that are just draw a little more attention, and it's no different <laughs> in a lot. Right, right. And I actually uh, spoke uh, to Fernando Clavijo kind of about this. I know uh, Oscar and Fernando have both mentioned that they really uh, like Dominic Baggi because he was adapted to the league they has experience in the league and they would prefer you know if they had all things equal if a player was coming in from an international league or in mls uh that they would prefer the one mls because he's used to he's used to the league uh what, what's your opinion on that my opinion is that I, mean, I, I have a special place in my heart for fernando and oscar my, my impression that's a comical statement for them to make i mean dude these are the guys that like pioneered bringing players <laughs> they've gone Right? They've brought in probably more international players than anybody else in Major League Soccer over the last 10 years. So I think they're dead on, they're spot on. And if I ran a team, I wouldn't put my livelihood on some 19-year-old transitioning from South America to America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would, I would prefer the, the known commodity. But, I mean, it's like it's audacious for them to be the ones to make that comment. Bobby, let's, uh, let's talk a little deadline day in the summer transfer window. Uh, we saw two massive trades on deadline day with uh, Christian Nemeth going to SKC and Christian Ramirez going to LAFC. Which which player will have a bigger impact on their new clubs? Ooh. Damn, you guys have like the best series of questions. Uh, it's <laughs> in, terms of big, in terms of big impact on the club, I would say it would be Nemeth. I mean, Ramirez, I rate highly. But I just don't know how much marginal difference he could have at LAFC. Perhaps largely because LAFC doesn't have as much room for a marginal difference. I mean, if you look at that team, you kind of know what you're going to get. You know, if on their best day, they are maybe the best team in the West, if not Major League Soccer. 
Um, SKC has been so up and down, and you know they're good, but you feel like if they had gotten this guy that could score goals regularly or just literally finish the chances that they've had, then, yeah, that could be a team that could seriously push the win the West, if not MLS Cup. So I would say Namath just because there is more room for that marginal gain in the in what SKC was looking for. Bobby, Armand has told us on the show, and even just through text messages, he thinks Atlanta United's a little bit overrated just because of their – the performances on the field and they seem to be a team that likes to play in front. Do you suspect them to tighten up here as we get in the later part and into the playoffs? Well, will you explain, will you share what you say in your group chats? Can you give your side of this first? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, for sure. So I, the thing with the thing with Atlanta is I love watching them play. I mean, I think we all do. It's really entertaining soccer, but I think part of the issue is they get uh, a lot of teams come into Mercedes-Benz and they bunker down and they just for some reason at times they just can't seem they can't seem to break it and they just get really frustrated and and kind of I guess lash out and I think especially in and the playoffs I mean teams are going to play like that um especially with their seasons on the line so I think going into it I think they have to kind of you know, like they can't really expect you know the beautiful game to be played by everyone. It's, I mean, the teams they're going to come into yeah. the bends are going to play def- defensive, and they seem to be getting really frustrated by it. I know Tata's talked about it. I mean, I mean, they've all talked about you know how they hate playing against teams at bunker, but it, that's what's going to happen in MLS in the MLS Cup playoffs. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that's going to be a problem, especially you know if they're going to continually getting uh, you know frustrated. They, they kind of have to live with it. They can't just complain about it all the time. And, and if they're going to struggle against it, then that's a big issue. Yeah, I think that's that's a spot-on analysis. That especially if you look at their record, too. If you look at the games they've dropped points in, whether it's New England and Red Bulls, who maybe don't sit deep, but they're primarily defense-focused teams who would rather you have the ball. If you look at them against was it Portland, Dallas, I mean, the games they've lost have been almost again entirely against teams who do what you say and want the other team to have the rock. So, yeah, I think it's definitely a concern that Atlanta needs to take. At some point, listen, I think Joseph Martinez is phenomenal. But at the same time, like you have, I truly believe that regression to the mean is a thing in life, and in the history of the world, it almost always happens. And mm-hmm. sometimes it doesn't happen. But you should always bet that it's going to happen. And as amazing as Joseph has been, I think his you know one point three goals per game, whatever it's been, is going to come back down to earth. And Miguel Marone has been amazing; hasn't been quite as amazing last year. And Barco and Tito Vialba have been great. So yes, I'm with you. I think that Atlanta is much more fragile than anybody down in Georgia wants to admit. Bobby, we have seen here in MLS that you can have a turn, turn it on late, and you could be Seattle of what two years ago, go on and win the trophy, and you'd be out of you know you were looking at you know out of the playoffs weeks before the playoffs had begin, and you know disappointing season. But Seattle turns it on; they go win the cup. Last two champs, Toronto and Seattle, are outside looking in. Can both teams get hot and we could see, you know, part three of Seattle, Toronto in MLS Cup? Oh, God, I hope not. Uh, <laughs> man, I can't spend another December, mid-December in Toronto for MLS Cup. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the, answer is, the answer is they absolutely can, right? And I think it was probably our fault. You know, we have to say a lot. We have a lot of airtime to cover. I think we have to say things. I think we asked the question early and often whether Seattle and Toronto were cooked. And it was a stupid question to ask because we've seen over and over. Look at RSL last year. It was, by most accounts, a mediocre team before and after, but they put up a ton of points in that second half of the year. And if they could do it, then Seattle and Toronto certainly could. Um, so they absolutely can. 
would I bet on them doing it? I think it's more likely Seattle does it than Toronto, largely because, listen, I think that this, most of why Toronto is deep in the dumps right now was injuries. Right, if you play Jordan Hamilton, Jay Chapman instead of Victor Vasquez and Josie Altidore, you you are going to be a different team. Now that they have Josie and Vasquez back, they're much better. But I truly think this idea of the hangover is real, and they're going to have to dig friggin' deep in these last ten games to scrap out three points instead of one or one instead of zero. And I'm just not sure they have it. I mean, if you look at the body language, despite how much better they've been, that Atlanta game, right? Like they took swings, they or they, you know, Atlanta took swings, Atlanta took swings, and yes, Toronto got the late goal. But I thought it was a fortunate against the run of play goal, and that Toronto just looked done. Um, so yes, I think they absolutely can do it. I might even put a small wager that they will. But I'm not. I I, I actually uh, would say Seattle is more likely than Toronto. That was Bobby, a way too lost their answer because yeah. I'm scared to give it. Because I'm scared <laughs> to bet against either of them. So I'm about to give you a question on the spot. Uh, look, I know there's plenty of games left in, in the season, but you know I had to do it. Who is your MLS Cup favorite right now? Oh, okay. Not as good a question. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, all right. I'll promise preface this by saying, like, I, I hate predictions. And I think one <laughs> part of being, like, a professional broadcaster and analyst is also just acknowledging how little we know and how little right. we guess. Um, so I'm putting that out there. Like, really, I have no idea. And I'm, like, I'm doing this just for entertainment's sake. Uh, I think the favorite right now has to be NYCFC or Red Bulls. Uh, like I said, I think you guys are spot on about the problems with Atlanta. Red Bulls are 6-1-0. Six wins, one loss, zero ties against the other six teams in Major League Soccer. And I think one of the really interesting questions philosophically about just soccer in general is if you are good with the ball and you're good without the ball, which is the trump card, right? Like, is there always an attacking sharpness that will beat a defensive-minded team? Or if you're really good defensively, there is no attack that can break it down. And that's what the Red Bulls are trying to figure out right now. Right. If you have these, these the least passes completed, the least the lowest pass or pass completion percentage, but you are just incredibly good at pressing and second balls and swarming, and so far the answer is yes, that works. Like I said, six and one against the other top teams, and there's a big enough sample size to say okay, that means something. With that said, I do think that NYCFC has the highest ceiling, and what Dome Trent has done, trying to mix things up, has made it high risk, high reward. But if they are sharp, they win. So I'll say the two New York teams are the two favorites. That's interesting. I just wanted to to bring in that the remaining schedule for Toronto and Seattle, one faces uh, a pretty light schedule regarding teams in the playoffs. Yeah. Meanwhile, Toronto has a gauntlet just through the end of the season, yeah. and, and it'll be interesting. Yeah. But, Bobby, I know you got to get going here, so uh, just tell the you know listeners where they can follow you on Twitter if they haven't already followed you and anything else you want to plug. Yeah, be, well, appreciate that. BeWarshaw14. Um, here I am at, at the MLS headquarters right now. We do Match Day Central. Every weekend, we do it Saturday and Sunday, where you're watching the games, and we break down goals, we break down film, we do an instant analysis after most games at the end of the night. So if you're watching MLS, and you're like, hey, I want someone to watch this, I want to digest what I took in. Um, and then the book I put out last year, When the Dream Became Reality, on Amazon, WhenTheDreamBecameReality.com. Appreciate the chance to plug, guys. It's like weird plugging things at this stage in life, but appreciate <laughs> that. Absolutely, Bobby. <laughs> Hope to have you on when uh, the playoffs come on. We'd love to have you back to chat some uh, MLS playoffs. Sounds great. Looking forward to it. All right, big shout-out to Bobby Warsaw. Love to have him on. Man, was he energetic. God. Fun guy. Fun guy, absolutely. For you, Atlanta United, I mean, 
everybody has them written to be a team, you know, that could be a, a generational team for MLS, almost like, you know, Toronto FC from last year, just be a historically good team. But could they be one of those, you know, 2007 Pats where they're really good in the regular season, but they fall short in the in the playoffs or ultimately lose MLS Cup or something like that to make their regular season and Jose Martinez's um, historic goal-scoring streak just be kind of rather just a statistic and a blip on the radar? I mean, they do have the quality to win MLS Cup. I think they almost have the quality to win the CCL. The question for me is... Can you, in the style of the MLS Cup playoffs, which is basically is two games, a team has the time to prepare on the road, and you're probably going to get a team that's going to sit back and hit you on the counter. Atlanta United plays so offensive that those fullbacks are sometimes so exposed that, I mean, we saw it, I don't know if you all remember, but in the Columbus-Atlanta game in the playoffs, I think we saw it where Atlanta was just getting hit on the counter left and right, and Tata and I think another player, I forgot who, I think specifically mentioned Columbus, a team that they can't break down. And I have to agree with Bobby on this one in terms of I think NYC or the Red Bulls I think should be the true favorite, even though people are all hopping on this Atlanta bet. They got to change the way they play. There's there's something is too offensive. And in the playoffs, it's not going to work. They're a front-running team, and I think they're going to be one of the all-time historic teams in regular season. But we'll see. If they don't win MLS Cup, it's kind of a disappointment, particularly after what they did last year. Jake, any follow-up on what Bobby said? His take on leagues like the Premier League or the Bundesliga are kind of the gateway drug. It, well, no, he, uh, I don't know. I, he was. It was. He, he said was gateway drug was going to the games. That MLS was thank game. you. That was the game. That was that actually. He's yes. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me. Yes, uh, I recently brought a friend to a Minnesota United game a couple weeks ago, and it was like the second time he'd ever. Been, it was the first time he'd been to a game since they joined MLS, and since then he's texting me like once or a couple times a week talking about Minnesota United. Uh, you know where they are in the standings. He texted me a few times last night during the LA Galaxy game about how big a floppers Laton was, and uh, Bobby is right. It is the it is like the gateway drug. I, it's it's a very fair point. Up next uh, is our conversation with Brian Sharetta from last week. We recorded this segment before our technical difficulty, so we saved it. And uh, basically, we talk about Nats abroad. Some of the stuff is dated, particularly when we talk about how he was on his way to the Red Bulls LAFC game. So take that into consideration. It's a week old, but some great context, some great depth into the Americans that you should be paying attention to in Europe. Joining us right now is Brian Sharetta. Hope I pronounced that right. You can follow him on the Twitter machine at Brian Sharetta. We're going to talk some Nats abroad. Brian, how's it going? Oh, doing great, guys. Uh, hope all's well with you on Sunday. Oh, it is, Brian. I know you're getting ready to go to the uh, Red Bull uh, LAFC game, which should be a much better game than the game I watched between FC Dallas and San Jose last night. And speaking of <laughs> speaking of FC Dallas, we all know about Chris Richards, uh, the man who's at loan at Bayern Munich. And I know this the CEO of Bayern Munich actually mentioned his name uh, in terms of uh, if they lose uh, Jerome Boateng, that he's one of the youngsters that they have. Is there a growing sense that Richards might be permanently staying at Bayern at the end of his loan? 
Well, the ball is in Byron's court. Um, I was able to report this week that um, there is an option to buy on the loan. Um, so, you know, there's no negotiations needed um, unless Byron tries to negotiate a cheaper price at that. But um, they have that much money. I don't think that that's an issue. So, you know, it's whether it's going to come down to, uh, you know, Byron, whether or not they want them or not. And they're not going to get haggled about the price or, or, or Dallas's unwillingness to sell. Um, you know, I think it's going to come down to how well he does with the U19s because, you know, these preseason prep families sometimes can be misleading. Even if they're with the first team, you know, you're surrounded with amazing talent like that. But when you get into the U19 level, the Bundesliga, that's going to be like a real uh, gritty, um, intense game right there. A lot of players trying to prove themselves. So it's going to be up to how well he does in those games, and they're going to get a look, good look at him every single day. But, um, you know, it's, it's too early to, to tell specifics. Specifically, whether or not he'll stay or go, but he's done everything right so far. I think that's what, the only thing you can say. Brian, we're closing in on the one-year anniversary of the failure of the U.S. men's national team to qualify for the World Cup, but I feel it's a real tipping point in the conversation for covering young Americans, either domestically or or even going overseas. Do you feel? That perception has changed too, as there is a lot more of a focus on what the young kids are doing in the third tier of league or country X. I mean, you can't. It, it's when I started covering Americans abroad and going to covering the youth levels. You know, it's it's you know you think it's easy because you get a lot of access to these players and you know and they do well with like these youth teams, but it's actually very hard because you have to provide some kind of context with it in terms of like. What does scoring a goal in like the the like the, the Premier the the U twenty three Premier League mean, or what does a good Premier League mean? And you know, and there's all other kinds of factors that you have to do uh, talk about without aside from performance. Because I've seen players go in there and loads of goals for reserve teams of, of of good teams and and never get anywhere with their career. You have to pay attention to like contract. And and you know what what are they saying? And you kind of have to look at a lot of data um, and get a whether the club sees young players or whether or not they're there just organizational fodder. You know they're just there just to make up numbers because not everyone at, you know a youth team at a Bundesliga team is, is a prospect. You know they're very they're varying degrees of that. So it's hard and. Um, but, you know, at the same point, we're seeing, like, a lot of hype over players um, based on, you know, what they're doing at these really youth or young levels uh, in Europe. You know, you kind of have to uh, learn the context as it goes along with it, if I'm making any sense. I'm just saying that with experience covering this kind of stuff, Um and only now are people starting to learn the lessons like you know you learn like a long time ago when you really get into this. But yeah, I think that they're doing well. I think we're starting to see some you know very positive things um, and, and statements, uh, you know, and positive progress with these young Americans moving overseas. And it's good to it is good to pay attention for them, and they're good to pay attention domestically because there's some really good players here domestically and abroad. Um, but to differentiate like who's good and who's not, but I definitely see, you know, more prospects that I think are going to be doing well over the coming years than not. You know, like for example, Nick Tadigui, 
at Schalke is one that I think, you know, is closer to the first team, far more so than Haji Wright, even though he scored a lot of goals for Schalke's United team team mm-hmm. last year. So, you know, you start to look at these kind of things like that. And, and, and you think that there's a, you know, and you also have to get a sense by talking to people too, like Tab Ramos or scouts or, you know, or people who are on the ground in Germany looking at these guys. So, yeah, I, I think I think there's going to be a learning curve in terms of an adjustment about what we expect for these guys and um, as we learn to see, evaluate products in this country. Brian, one of the players we've seen emerge since the U.S. failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup is Tim Weah. Now, he's had a very solid preseason with PSG. Can you talk about what is in his future with the club, whether it's going out on loan, or could he see some playing time with a PSG as they move forward into their season? Yeah, I mean, some people are talking about, you know, I thought about this over the year, and I was thinking a loan might be necessary, but I'm not necessarily sure he needs a loan. I might change my position on that um, this year. Because I think PSG is going to have a heavy squad rotational because a uh, squad rotation throughout the year. Because France, there's a lot of cup games, um, more so than than Germany. Mm-hmm. And um, and PSG also tends to play with the title. You know, league games, you know, not as important. Um, you know, throughout the season, it's not like there's going to be a tight race. Um, it tends to be uh, pretty lopsided. Um, then I think that'll be more of the same this year. So, you know, look, I think there's no substitute for playing, but I think he's, you know, he gets some value with, with training around players and, and getting into some cup matches here and there. And, and he'll get a lot of experience with the U S national team, maybe the under 20 national team, which, you know, if they had everyone playing for it, that's eligible. They could, I mean, they could, I could see a scenario where they can go to the semifinals or maybe even the final of the U 20 world cup. If everyone, uh, age eligible will play. I think, you know, I think they done it last cycle too with, with, uh, if they had Pulisic and McKinney, but I think that they have, you know, a, a more com- complete, well-rounded team. Um, but you know, that's a topic for another debate. So there's a lot of games to be had for, for Tim. So even if he's getting in some, you know, league cup kind of games and lower kind of cup games, I felt like there's a value for that in training. Now, if, you know, as a, some, if someone who just turned 18, you know, but like, look, if it's next year, uh, the, the, there's a dimin- there's a you know there's diminishing returns on that too. So about training with these great guys, you know these great teammates. Eventually, you need to move on. You know, like I don't think Carter Vickers will be getting any value with uh, training with training with Tottenham and not playing. Um, he's been there, done that. So look, if Tim Weah is is, is in a situation next year, he would definitely need a loan. But I think one year of kind of getting cup matches, you know, some league matches that aren't as important while training and playing with the national teams. Um, uh, he's in a good space right now for, for at least, you know, another, uh, nine, 10 months. And then, then you have to revisit the fact that he'll need to play on a regular basis. Now there's another player in the French league, another American player that just went on loan, uh, to Nantes, Matt Miazga. And Brian, when is it going to come to like a point where we should expect Miazga to ever even play for Chelsea? If that's possible, or uh, are we just not not going to see him ever play Chelsea and for him be one of those players that is consistently loaned out uh, to clubs abroad? Well, no, I think, you know, there, there is going to come to be a tipping point um, where one of these loans is going to be... This is the first loan I'm able to say, you know, he's on a, 
is that the first two with Vitesse, there was no option to buy. Um, you know, and, and, and look, with Miazga, there should really be no complaining. Miazga's had a great career up to this point. He's won everywhere he's gone. I mean, let's go through this. He took the Red Bulls to the Supporters' Shield. He was the, maybe the best central defender at the Under-20 World Cup in 2015. He went to Vitesse, and, and he won the Dutch Cup for the first time they've ever won any kind of silverware. The second year, he goes on loan again, and he won the playoff tournament for a Europa League spot. Mm-hmm. So he's won everywhere he's gone. I mean, you know, like, he's done very, very well. Now he's upping the level. This is a non is not like they initially it was reported that he was going to go to Khan and they were interested and uh, that would have been bad because they're they're not a good club. They're relegation fodder. And while there is benefit to being a defenseman defender, sorry, on a on a very good um, on a on a very bad team because you're always on your heels. Miazga's has got to learn how to use his passing ability and press a high line back line for you know he's got good passing skills now. You know you want to be able to use the defense defenders. Um, to move forward and and have it you know not just looking at it as like a, you know, as a defending and clearing kind of a position you know you want to be able to hold the ball with them and make some good passes he can do that now so not he's going to do that now he has to compete with a couple other really good center backs so playing time is going to be hard but he's good enough he you know and uh, this is the first time there is an option to buy on on one of his loans so that's how it's going to end with Chelsea if he's not good enough you know it's just not going to be perpetual loans. Eventually, he's going to come to be a point when, when, when one of these lot, where he's going to go on loan, there's going to be an, a lot loan, uh, an option to buy, and it's going to be exercised. I understand this buyout is high. Like it's going to be very expensive for not to not to buy. I don't even no matter how well Matt plays in this league, I don't think uh, Nas is going to have it in their budget to to spend this kind of money on on a central defender. Um, but it's there, so I mean, it shows that the perception of Matt is changing, where he's a marketable product. For Chelsea, and even if he's not there, he's going to make them money because he's, they're going to be they're going to sell him off to the right uh, a team that really wants him. And he, if he continues to show well, um, you know, so it's not he's going to be like he's going to be loaned until his contract with Chelsea is over. If he, he's either going to be good enough for Chelsea, or he's going to get sold. Um, and and so far it's worked out. So you know, um, you know, I, I you know I don't think it should be disturbed. It's just a gra- it's just this this loan business is just a way to gradually let himself work his way up the ladder. I mean, the worst thing Chelsea needs right now is like for him to sit the bench because you know then they lose then they lose you know some money because I mean not not a lot of money by their standards, but you know this is a side business that they have for acquiring players and loaning them out and then selling them. Like um, when we could talk about the ethics of, of like is that good for football or you know when these clubs do this because now other big clubs are starting to emulate this and have like a side business of just marketing players in addition to their first team business and trying to, you know, win the Champions League. So that's, that's a different question altogether. But, um, but yeah, I think Matt, you know, I think it's either this year or next year, I think he's going to get bought out by another team. My prediction. Brian, we're we're scrolling, I was scrolling through Twitter and you're always tweeting out about names playing what are a couple names outside the big american household names pulisic you know weston mckinney that we should be paying attention to for this upcoming european season i mean yeah i'm looking forward to see how palmer brown does eric palmer brown at not not afraid of anywhere he's just he's just going she's just starting the process right now that um you know miazga was on you know in terms of this is his second loan he was at courtrick last year 
Um, you know, and he's and he's gonna do and and he's um, and now he's uh, now he's not afraid in the Eredivisie. Um, so yeah, he's he's learning there. And uh, if he could become a regular player, you know, it's gonna be kind of cool to see the three way competition there between um, uh, Palmer Brown, Carter Vickers, and 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 um, uh, Miazga in terms of them just pushing each other. I think it's a great story. I mean, no one's taking you know they're all three of them are doing so well, and there's only so many spots, but they're pushing each other, and they're friends off the field. Let's see. I'm looking at Anthony Robinson now. I'm on a Wigan. They really like him. I think that he could be a left-back solution for a long time, uh, at least perhaps until maybe George Bellow, you know, was one of the most talented prospects until he's ready in Atlanta to maybe push him. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's there's a lot of guys. I'm looking at Nick Cottigley to see if he can break through at Schalke because I think he's one of the best prospects the U.S. soccer has that hasn't really quite gotten a first-team, you know, uh, uh, appearance yet. You know, you can see how Josh Sarge is going to do at Word of Bremen, but I think everyone knows him. Jonathan Amon's another one that Tab Ramos has told me uh, a couple different times that he's really looking forward to seeing. He's at Norseland in Denmark. Um, Emmanuel Sabi is another one who I think, um, you know, in Europe, he's also in Denmark at Hobro. Um, I mean, they're a bad team. I mean, they, they could be a relegation fodder this year, but he's, he looks like he's a uh, at least a super league level striker, which is good by the Olympic standards. You know, I think it gives, you know, too many eggs are in the basket right now. Josh Sargent, you know, now you have a Sabi can sneak up there. Then you have another forward where you can depend on if Sargent isn't released or, you know, or he's with the full team and he can't play with the Olympic team. So there's those, those, you know, those are some guys there that I'm, uh, you know, keeping my eye on closely. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, so there's a lot of players, um, follow there but uh you know that's just a few brian are there any uh young americans in mls that you have your eye on or that you've been watching recently well i i can't wait to watch bellow i mean he made the bench for the first time um uh yesterday for atlanta did not play he's been coming off an injury uh i mean he's he's one of the most talented american developed left back prospects i can remember i mean you know, if his health holds up, like, and I guess it has, I guess he's recovered. Um, he can be scary good. Um, Gianluca Buzio had an assist for the ages, um, yesterday for, uh, sporting Kansas city. Um, you know, I think he's, you know, he, he looks really good. Reggie Cannon's a right back for Dallas. He plays a lot, but I mean, I think he's really interesting because, you know, if the U.S. decides to put all the eggs in the basket of the Olympic team, which I hope that they do in 2020, I know there's some there's a crowded schedule that summer. You have some non-national team games, but if they go with Pulisic and McKenney, uh, Reggie Cameron, I think is your Reggie Cameron. Sorry, is your right back, and um, you know, he's a, he's going to be a big part of that team. Uh, you know, so those are those are a few that I'm looking at, and oh, and then obviously Chris Durkin uh, for DC United. I mean. Uh, a big lament of mine is, is the fact that there's really not many genuine number sixes and and uh, developed American and, and American soccer. Usually, you know, the American soccer coaches have been putting number eights back there and just assuming that they can get the job done. And you know, it's I think it I think you know, it's been a lost art since like many many years ago when Chris Armis and Pablo Mastroni were coming up as young players and they were really good number sixes. You know, Mastroni had that great World Cup in 2002. And then since then, it's been kind of like filling that, that position. It's a lost art. It used to be a strength for the U.S. soccer. But to have like a real genuine number six in Chris Durkin is exciting because 
um, you know, I think he could kind of hold the midfield together, and particularly also with that Olympic team. Um, you know, it allows McKenney and Adams to play the number eight, which is what both those guys are, are designed to do, um, and not have them play out of position at the six. So, you know, those are some, uh, you know, in terms of positional awareness, in terms of positions, I mean, it's kind of interesting to see. Uh, you do need more forward prospects um, in MLS uh, to come through, but it's really good to see that some of the best prospects right now are left backs, number sixes, number eights, and, and you know, Buzio could play a winger, hybrid attacker. I mean, these are positions we haven't, or the U.S. hasn't really developed much uh, domestically. So um, it's good to see. Absolutely. Now, Brian, completely off topic, but you were in New Jersey for the NPSL soccer final between the FC Motown Celtics and Miami FC. How was that? It was a lot of fun. I mean, I've been going to the FC Motown games uh, quite a bit this year. Um, it's very close to me. It was the team was founded by, um, uh, you know, uh, two guys who went to my high school. So I've gotten to know them and. I think Sachi Hot, who was a Red Bulls uh, homegrown product, um, wasn't really the player, you know, like to make it as a professional. But I think he's got a, a very bright future as a coach. Um, still very young, but I think he's got a really good mind for it, and I think he can go a long way. And it's a good, you know, you hope that you want to see more success stories of people getting their start at like these little local domestic leagues. Um, Dilly Duca was great to watch. I mean, there's a guy, who, you know. When he was in MLS and with the USU 20s and 23s, you know, it was, it was one good, one great game, you know, maybe two bad games. But the talent was always ridiculously high with him. And, you know, he's just trying to get it back together. But he was, you know, he could put on a show. Um, so it was a good mix of you know, some young players trying to get it going um, for Motown. And, you know, and obviously, you know, Miami was very, you know, they were playing in light of the NASL's uh, suspended season. And, you know, so they were a lot more professional. Um, than Morristown. Morristown kind of represented the um, uh, the local feel, um, you know, the local, uh, you know, real true local soccer um, that you can get around the world. And, and I really liked seeing it. Um, it was very healthy. It was a big crowd. Uh, you know, it made me feel really good that it came from, a, you know, the city I was born in. Brian, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, please tell our listeners where we can find your work and where we can find you on Twitter and other social media platforms. Oh, sure. I mean, I'm always, uh, you know, doing a lot of radio with Sirius XM and talk sport in your, in, uh, in England. And uh, I'm on Twitter. I usually respond to a lot of people who tweet at me, um, Brian at Shreda, S-C-I-A-R-E-T-T-A. And uh, I'm running a lot on Yan- Yanks Abroad and, and in the past, uh, no, sorry, in American soccer now and in the past. But, and hopefully sometime in the near future, I'll be, you know, uh, maybe have some pieces with the New York Times and Howler Magazine and, and who knows where else. Well, fantastic, Brian. Thanks for coming on. And uh, have a, enjoy the game tonight. Oh, thank you very much. Talk to you soon. Thank you to Brian Shredda. Lovely interview. Great insights into uh, Nats abroad over in uh, Europe. Uh, quick question for you guys here before we wrap the show up. Who is the young American you are going to be paying attention to this season? Uh, you know, I genuinely think King Parks is a name you should pay attention to because there's the weird, I guess, tweet that was floated out there that he's rumored with Aston Villa, but that's only if they get promoted. Just a, just a side note on Keaton because I've been 
re- reading a lot of reports and stuff like that. It, it, he's in a tough spot right now because he's not cracking playing time. I don't think he's, he didn't play that much in the ICC. And he's too good for the second division. So what's going to happen? Is he going to go on loan? Like, I, I don't know. I always thought Keaton was more of an offensive player. And uh, apparently he's not progressing as much on a defensive end. So uh, we'll see how that goes. My player to watch, I'd say it's Anthony Robinson. He's on loan at Wigan. He just signed a new deal with Everton. He showed he looked great in the uh, friendlies the the U.S. played. Um, I want to see how he does. I want to see if he develops. And I'm excited if USA finds a competent left back. Jake, 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 you tweeted or you messaged us this past week about some American kind of climbing the ladder. What's his name? Dwayne Holmes. <laughs> I almost said Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, Dwayne Holmes, uh, he just signed with uh, Darby over in the, uh, the, the championship. So he'll get to uh, play underneath uh, – Chelsea legend Frank Lampard had to uh, drop that uh, as a Chelsea fan. Uh, no, but he's uh, cl- definitely he's climbed the ranks uh, in English football. Uh, was originally part of the Huddersfield Town setup there with the academy, and uh, I, I, I don't recall the, the the teams he played with in League League Two and League One. So I, you know, forgive me for that. But uh, yeah, he's. Sign on with, with Darby, and hopefully he gets some playing time. He's still 23 years old. Uh, it's kind of an interesting story, too. Of I don't want to say Jamie Vardy-like, but pretty unique that a young American has climbed the ranks of the uh, English football ladder. It's in a club that was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, was pretty close to winning promotion to the Premier League last year. Another guy you could watch is Matt Miazga, too. If he can feature for Nance, that's big for the U.S., but uh, we'll see, guys. We'll see. I mean, it's an interesting uh, year for Americans, and especially with all the, I guess, what U.S. soccer is trying to do with, you know, playing big-time friendlies against Colombia, I think Italy, Brazil, all these names that are on the list. Uh, we'll see who gets called in and who is going to be that name that we know at the end of the season that we did not know now. Listeners, follow us on Twitter, UncSamSoccerPod. At Armankafai, at Jake Watroba, at Steven Jodderan. Send in your thoughts. We love to hear it. Uh, until next time, take care. The in-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end. It's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.